This episode is dedicated to the memory of superfan David Fowler. David, I want to ask you, before we get too far into this super show that we're going to be doing, and we do need to truck on because we're covering all of the movies, all of those super movies, I need to know, David Klink, where you stand on Superman's red shorts. Because over the years, they've come, they've gone. Some people have said, well, he's wearing his underwear on the outside, which isn't the case. This is, you know, (laughs) we we know that... uh, (laughs) <laughs> the costume design was based on the, the strong men of from the turn of the previous century. Um, but some people like it, like it without the red shorts. I, my friends tend to be pro red short. H- how about you? Uh, I'm uh, all red all the time. Oh, that's, that's super. And I'm not being an ass by saying that, but um, I, I, I say red them and weep. Oh, sorry. I, I'm not big on, like going back into films like like George Lucas does and changing elements. But if I could do anything with the recent superhero Superman series, I would go back and give him the red shorts. Um, and, and I've heard actually some people say one of the reasons they don't like it is because it draws your eye too much to his crotch when there is no red because you're kind of like, well, what, what's going on down there? The red sort of just, it does, it, it breaks up the blue, all that blue. And uh, so aesthetically, I think it's a, a good touch. And I know that if I was flying around, see, I, I don't think of it as underwear on the outside. When he doesn't have the red, <laughs> I, I think of it as he's wearing long johns. Mm. And, I, and I know what it's like as a man when you got your junk in long johns. Like it can end up anywhere. So I think containment is an issue that Superman would need. How do yeah, you feel I, like, yeah. Well, I, I think they, I think the there was that you know, uh, red red uh, crotch at morning sailor take warning or something. Like that. But <laughs> yeah, I think there is a right. saying about it. But I wouldn't go back. I mean, if you're going to go back and start tinkering with things, then how about changing the whole crotch area into a walkie-talkie? Like, have they not <laughs> thought of that? Like, take take your from ET. Yeah. Let's or flowers or whatever the heck they did to you know, not scare a kid. Like if there's a walkie-talkie there instead of red shorts, like, that might scare the kids a bit. I don't know. Oh, I like that. I like the sort of freak factor of that. But I mean, it would look weird if either Jimmy Olsen or Lois Lane had to use the walkie-talkie. I mean, that would well, be you know. Well, well, well. Superman is an extraterrestrial, so I hold had a whole new meeting to ET phone home, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, we're getting silly, aren't we? We are, so, but <laughs> welcome to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Clink. Yes, and we also talk crotchal area. <laughs> yes, let's just and, change the emphasis of the whole show to that. <laughs> and he I, I, is Troy Harkin, for God's I am. sake. If he's not going to say it, I am. It's true. You've just doubted me. God damn it! Just... My the secret is out there. Only Lois Lane is supposed to know that I'm Troy Harkin. Anyway, (laughs) this is our second part of, I guess I'm calling it a duology of episodes looking at Superman. Our first episode looked at the comics and TV and some other things. This episode, we'll look at the movies. Uh, This is our third episode of season five, hole number 59, if I even have the math right. Uh, Saturday, November 4th is when it's dropping. No guest for this episode. And by the way, Troy, can you give people... A spoiler alert. I can. Let me just go up and push the button that used to be in the Fortress of Solitude. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Very nice. Thanks, Troy. We're recording this session via Zoom. Mm-hmm. And is Zoom. there any... Zoom. Just like Superman flying. Yeah, which so... has gotten better over the years, hasn't it? But uh, that's think, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You had a question for me, I think? Uh... I almost had a question, but it was basically Superman. Because I've been watching, I'm getting these all conflated. I've watched all of these films 
many times yes. over the last few weeks. Yeah. And they're starting to conflate oh, and yes. meld together. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, this happened in this film. No, it happened in that one and <laughs> yeah. so on. Yeah. And the problem but, is, David, you and I, <laughs> yeah. you and I have both watched like various versions, like alternate cuts and whatnot, in which sometimes one film has an element to it in one film and sometimes it's in another film. And so I know you're talking about that confusion. Yeah. And there's that four hour cut of Zack Snyder's one, which we'll get into later that, you know, at a certain point people, I think some of our fans are very much into thinking that we should really be concentrating on the theatrical release because that's sort of canon and anything else is just sort of gravy, isn't it? Yeah. That is a really lame ass response, David. I'm sorry, but uh, you you might say that. Um, And I guess we should just sort of truck along, right? Because we have uh, a number of feature films here that we need to cover. Well, why don't you start Um, with the first one that's considered really the first movie? Well, I will. Now, we, we did mention on our previous Superman film that there had been the serial not the cereal that you eat, which Kellogg's was actually a sponsor of the Adventures of Superman, not cereal with a C, but cereal with an S. Um, and there was actually cereals of Batman, Superman, and Captain Marvel, meaning the original Captain Marvel, Shazam, as we know him now, back in the olden days, the olden times. Well, Troy, now that you're mentioning cereal for a second, because I just thought of this today, I don't know if this is, is any good, but I was thinking they should have been a kryptonite cereal and they could actually say settling of continents may occur you know that whole settling of contents yes see what i did with that i i think i i think i do i think i have an exploding krypton on the actual thing you feel you know i'm doing my part to destroy krypton by eating the cereal but are we endangering superman by creating the cereal Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. That's possible. But, But maybe, you know, maybe we're making him stronger because maybe it's like a uh, you know, a vaccine. Maybe the more he's exposed to kryptonite, then the better he'll be in the long run. Anyway, uh, let's touch on Superman and the Mole Men from 1951. Now, it's a wee film. It's It only comes in at 58 minutes long. Uh, it was directed by Lee Sholem, and it was written by, according to the screen credit, Richard Fielding, but that was a pseudonym of two writers who would end up working on the Adventures of Superman TV series. Um, And those two writers were Robert Maxwell and Whitney Ellsworth. Now, in essence, Superman and the Mole Man acted very much like a pilot for the then upcoming Adventures of Superman TV show. The plot tells of an oil crew that inadvertently releases subterranean people who, who, who the earthlings, well, the upper earthlings, they fear... And they try to kill the subterranean people. Now, Lois and Clark have come to the site of the oil drill to cover a news story for the Daily Planet when they learn of the so-called mole men. Superman is then forced to intervene on behalf of the little people and save them from the xenophobic gun-toting yahoos. Now, we don't get Perry White in this. We don't get Jimmy Olsen. Uh, We're not even in Metropolis. The whole film is set around the, uh, the oil drill site. But... We do get Superman and we get we get uh, George Reeves in his Superman film. Don't even try to get in there, Benson. Dr. Reeves in charge tonight. He's left orders that no one's to be admitted. That's your answer, mister. It may be an answer to you. It means nothing to me. Yeah, well, we're running this town. We ought to string you up, too. Yeah. Miss Lane. You're going to step aside or we have to make trouble. Put some lead in him, Luke. Mr. Benson tried that once already. It didn't work. Now I'm going to give you one last chance to stop acting like Nazi stormtroopers. Who are you to tell us what to do? All I'm telling you is that that little creature in there has as much right to live as you do. Don't forget, you invaded his world. You sank a pipe six miles into the ground. And when he climbed up, you set dogs on him, shot him. Inside, you stay away from the front of the building. Whoever fired that shot came close to killing Miss Lane. Obviously, none of you can be trusted with guns. So I'm going to take them away from you. 
you may have seen the film actually uh, on the TV show as at one point in August 1953, it was divided into a two-part episode, then known as the Unknown People, not the Mole Men. And uh, yeah, it was kind of fun to come across this film because I, I hadn't seen it. The thing was was shot, David, in 12 days. So wow. it, it really does have a, a B-movie <laughs> feel to it. Um, and I wanted to point out, too, that that film uh, starred uh, Phyllis Coates as Lois Lane. And uh, she would play that part for season one of The Adventures of Superman on TV. And on October 11th, 2023, we lost Phyllis Coates as she passed away uh, as we were prepping the show. She was 96. But that's wow. that's that's the only sort of pre-Christopher Reeve uh, Superman. But uh, do you have any, uh, you want to give some love to George, George Reeves? Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And it was nice that they did this because this did lead to the um, adventures of Superman. And yeah. that's something that we had mentioned on the Commander Tom show, whatever it was, that this certainly had a life in syndication. It just kept being on TV to the point where I watched it when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the things that we're going to do as we whip through these films, because uh, we're going to try to get it in, in in just a little over a, an hour. Um, but we're, we're going to give David and I will give you um, our personal ratings. Um, now, now, for me, this one, I give it two out of five super S's, as in the S on Superman's chest. I give it two out of five. It's not the worst Superman film. So it's, I guess I probably have it in for me at my like second uh, least favorite, but Hey, again, we get George Reeves on the big screen. Um, and we also get uh, Phyllis Coates as Lois. So um, yeah, it, it looks exactly the way it should as a B movie from the fifties, but it's still better than one that came out a couple decades later, which we'll get to in a little bit. I would give it a two as well. For the same reasons, it also has a bit of a message, you know, about, mm-hmm. you know, accepting people and, and other things. It's just, I think that's what science fiction and, and the things we like in genre, science fiction, fantasy and horror, that they can cast a light on what we're experiencing without hitting you over the head with it. Uh, I guess maybe this one does hit you over the head a bit, but <laughs> it's... It's something that, you know, I think it was more designed for a bit of a younger audience. Like, like if you're watching with your parents, maybe you get more of the message um, of it because it has to be spelled out a bit more if you're a bit younger, possibly. I don't know. Yeah. And, and that really is the case for all of the Superman films until we get to sort of the Snyderverse era with uh, Henry Cavill as Superman. It's all skews kind of like younger for sure. Um, and yeah, Superman, the mole man is no exception. So should we get on to that, that first biggie one? Yeah. It might be the greatest one of all. So in 78, we get Superman, the movie, or I guess as some will call it uh, retroactively Superman one. Uh, it was directed by Richard Donner. The story was by Mario Puzo and it was produced by Ilya and Alexander Salkind, who had done the three and four Musketeers. And I tell you that we must evacuate this planet immediately. Jor-El, be reasonable. Once there was a civilization, much like ours, but with a greater intelligence, greater powers, and a greater capacity for good. moment 
that world was destroyed. But there was one survivor. Now, wouldn't that beat all get out? Because of the wisdom and compassion of Jor-El, because he knew the human race had the capacity for goodness, he set us his only son. His name is Kal-El. He will call himself Clark Kent. But the world will know him as Superman. This year, Superman brings you the gift of flight. Superman, the movie. Uh, and this was it. This was, you know, one of the granddaddy Hollywood blockbusters of the 1970s. It was fresh off all the hoopla and success that was Star Wars. Um, Superman was made for $50 million and grossed over $300 million worldwide. It was the second biggest box office draw of 1978, uh, second only to Greece. Superman the movie involved both the star and writer of The Godfather and it cast an unknown actor to bring to life The Man of Steel. This was the first live-action portrayal of Superman on the big or little screen since the death of George Reeves. Superman the movie does a lot in its 153 minutes of screen time. We get an iconic John Williams theme. We see the destruction of Krypton. We have baby Kal-El's escape and his safe arrival in Kansas. We also get the stunning Fortress of Solitude set. Mm -hmm. Now, it's easy to forget that prior to this, um, the Fortress of Solitude had been depicted in the comic books as basically an Arctic version of the Batcave. Um, as envisioned by designer John Barry, the Fortress of Solitude is transformed into a crystal palace. Now, that iconic vision is still the way Superman's secret layer is depicted. Um, and remarkably, the producers attempted to shoot the sequel, Superman 2, concurrently which they did for the most part. Richard Donner had shot 75% of the sequel before a number of issues forced the production team to focus solely on the completion of that first film. The original ending called for Superman stopping a missile in mid-flight, launching it into outer space and inadvertently striking the three prisoners in the Phantom Zone. And as a result, they were released. In the original theatrical version of the film, we instead have Superman undoing Luther's destruction by flying backwards around the Earth at super speed and turning back time. Dave, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that original film? Well, I think that that song, If You Can Turn Back Time yeah, by Cher, yep. was about, okay, maybe it wasn't about this. Now, uh, that's a Superman uh, outfit that needs to be considered. But again, you have to know that video and you have to be old farts like us. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and I... And we can always imagine Superman sitting on one of those turrets. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so it really set the standard. And I may have said this before, but all you have to do is try to get the largest screen at home. Or if it's ever re-released, you know, if it ever shows up in one of these old style theaters near you, go and see it. Because for some of us who are lucky enough to see it in the theater, I probably saw it at the university in Toronto years ago oh, wow. back in 78 was that the whole opening credits, if you take the time to do your opening credits, right. With that music, with those credits just going on the screen and the way they were presented already had me sold. It was just like one of the greatest moments in sort of like movie credit history. <laughs> yeah. And everything in it, like from the whole thing with the helicopter. I mean, there are some clunky bits, like I've been a poet for a very long time. And the whole thing with Superman flying with Lois, and then there's this monologue thing, which could have been written by the people who had that that sound over, or whatever you call it, in um, Blade Runner. Remember that original when it was brought yeah. in, they had to have someone doing this voiceover or talking behind the story to get you clued in. There was this Margot Kidder's voice 
doing this what is quite horrific poetry about all this rhyming stuff about oh, how wonderful it right. is to be flying with yeah. Superman. And that is still cringeworthy uh, to this day. Can you read my mind? Do you know what it is that you do to me? I don't know who you are. Just a friend from another star. Watching it again was a bit uh, concerning for me because I'd lost my wife in February. Um, and just seeing the whole thing where Lois uh, dies and then him trying to bring her back right. was a bit of a, a, a issue. And it's similar to some of the later films where they deal with loss and death, which we all have to in our lives. Yeah, a lot of resonance, I would, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the music. Again, because I think it needs to be talked about a lot. Like, as we know, John Williams is kind of like the Beatles of, of music, uh, movie music. Um, it's like there's, there's so many great themes that we can talk about, but I do think that the, the Superman theme and his, his Superman score in general, uh, is way up there. It's way up there. Mm. Um, it might be my favorite of his sort of epic themes. Mm. Um, and, and, and the scenes when like the, the, I forget what they actually call it. I don't know if it's called the romance theme or the Lois and Cl Lois and Clark mm. theme or something like that. But the music, when they're flying, that music does so much of the heavy lifting for those scenes. Mm. Um, because it doesn't always look that great. Um, I think, I don't know if I get into it here or later, but just some of the, the visuals, like it's just the, I always have a problem with the physics behind the way they're flying, the way he's flying with her, you know, like, especially there's a bit where he just, it's like fingertip to fingertip. Yeah. So how is she not fall? Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah, some yeah. force there. Yeah. Keeping her up. But I will say again, that music helps sell those scenes. Yes. And, um, yeah, we can also talk a little bit more about about um, Margot Kidder's Lois. Uh, I I love her her performance. That's another thing that that helps sell that. And actually, the the chemistry between um, Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder it's it's really great uh, screen chemistry. But yeah, Kidder's Lois. Um, you know, I had notes that uh, it's it's sassy, snarky, and it's age appropriate because uh, some of the other ones, particularly the I forget her name now, but the Lois that is in uh, uh, Superman Returns, I found she just seemed far too young to be uh, Kate Bosworth. I think yes, Kate Bosworth. Yeah, to, I didn't buy her, but Margot Kidder, I I definitely buy. 
Well, if and we've recommended this before, but there is a documentary called Up, Up in the Way or something like that. That's about an hour and 50 minutes. It covers a lot of the Superman history. And they actually show some of the screen tests with people like Stockard Channing, who I absolutely love, and some of these other women trying out for the role. And you can actually see, I can see why they do this, why they have a number of people trying out these things. And do, I mean, if you reach a certain level, I don't think they, it's considered an insult if you have to come and actually try out for a role. You're supposed to just get it because of who you are. But you can see the chemistry between Margot Kidder and Christopher Reeve. And that whole thing where she says, oh, Clark thinks that you're some kind of a puppet or held up by strings. And she said, like Peter Pan and, and his whole response about how you know Peter Pan was a was a story for children in a fairy tale. It's such a brilliant moment, and I think he, this guy's got game. You know, yeah. he's by saying that he's you know it's sort of like Spock saying I've never met a she, she says I've never met a Vulcan before, and and he says I've never met a piece of art but a work of art before. You know that kind of thing where you think yeah. here's a character that you don't think has got game suddenly says the thing that just says wow. You take your your breath is taken away by how amazing that is. Now, what do um, you? So, yeah, definitely, Margot Kidder is good. Yeah, and um, and I do love Christopher Reeve's Superman. Um, I'm not nuts about his Clark, which which goes so far the other way. And and I realize that you know even when you think back to the Adventures of Superman with George Reeves, his his Clark. I mean, he is mild mannered. But he's not wimpy or wussy or whatever. In the well, he's way very confident. Reason. Like he yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the way he is with people, it's like it's not awkward. It's not. There's nothing awkward. I don't think with the George Reeves, uh, Clark Kent, and I think you're right. I think part of it was the purpose of it was. I think they just go a bit too far because sometimes you just go too far to tr- make it obvious how different people are. So I think they played up so much that it is too much yeah and um there is also this thing too that um i actually have a note for it somewhere here but i can paraphrase it um one of the things that we do get with the uh, christopher reeve era superman is that this is all pre things like watchmen in the comics and sandman by neil gaiman um, and Dark Knight by Frank Miller, where with that era of comic books, it created a, a seismic shift in mm. in the way those stories were told. And they all of a sudden became adult stories with, you know, mature storylines. Um, so prior to that, you know, comics were still thought of as kid stuff. Mm. And so I think, um, like it took a long time and I don't, and you know, I love Batman 66, but, um, it took a long time to shake off the influence of what that series and that one feature film had done in, in terms of telling these stories. They were still thought of it as either these are sort of stories for kids or we might have like a double entendre for adults that they might clue into, but mm. it's still, it's still kind of jokey. You know, um, yeah. and that's just that's just the history of it. That's just the way it was. It, we we hadn't hit that point where all of a sudden we can tell super tragic stories in a mature way. We we weren't there yet, but we would mm. get there eventually. Um, so uh, yeah, and one he, thing you mentioned is about the take on like like one thing that's a bugaboo for you, and I, I agree with it is the idea of the soft takeoffs and landings. So you want to talk for a minute about that? Well, you know, again, I did grow up with the George Reeves um, takeoffs, which were not, there was no special effects in it. So we actually saw a man dealing with gravity. So he, you know, for his, his takeoffs, he would basically use a, sorry, spoiler alert, he would use a trampoline and then bound upward and out of the shot. And, but it felt very powerful you know hmm. and and his his landings were the reverse he would swing on a bar through a window and then land with the force of gravity behind him now clearly we're dealing with a character who you know we have to suspend disbelief and we have to try to 
allow for the fact that somehow the sky can fly and somehow it, 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 uh, we can allow for it within the laws of physics. We have to somehow like do that. But when I see Christopher Reeve's Superman do the soft liftoff, it looks more magical. It takes, for me, it takes yeah. it out of the realm of science and, and things like thrust and force. And it somehow makes it magical. Even the fact that he can levitate, that he can, you know, be three feet above the ground with his arms crossed, having a dialogue with Lois. Um, I, I, like that looks good, but I have a hard time buying it. What about you? Uh, I agree. Uh, uh, one of the things I like about the Henry Cavill ones is that they are hard to like, like he actually asked at one point for Lois, uh, the Amy Adams character to move back. And then he said, actually, you might want to move back a bit further. And then she has to move back a bit further. Then he, you know, does his thing and the effects of it, what it actually damages, like he starts, you know, sort of like Hancock or whatever the film was with Will Smith. You actually start damaging things like, you know, you're going to you're going to go off this pavement. Well, now they have to replace that piece of pavement or that sidewalk or wherever it is. Anytime you do this hard takeoff because he's actually damaging it every time he does that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I like that. And I and now, that, though. I mean, we've had a few things that, that you know, we're looking back on this film, uh, I guess, getting close to 50 years. Right. Mm. And um, and as much as there are things that, you know, we would wish were different, we still, you know, give total kudos to this film. The fact that it was the first, this is the first real big budget blockbuster color Superman film. And man, like it, it's just changed everything. Yeah. And what they did with the effects of the time, which again, this is the star Wars era. So there was a lot to do and, they already made a major leap with that film, but it's so much better now. What they were able to do in that film was quite astonishing, and a lot of it still holds up, just like 2001, a lot of the effects. Yeah. You know, if you do it right, you put the money in and you care about it, it can stand up over time. Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to touch on, too, was we, with that controversial ending that we got for Superman, uh, the movie, in the released form where he goes backwards around the earth at super speed to turn back time. Um, this became a huge sticking point in the history of the character because, uh, you know, you've got the question, how do you create jeopardy for a character that is invulnerable and not just a demigod, but much closer to a God? Uh, if, if he can do that, what, like, what can't he do? You know? So well, the other thing he could do it, cause this is a bit silly, but then you have to talk about who, how they connect to each other. Cause if, if, um, he knew that he was able to do this. Then when he actually runs into general Zod in man of steel and Zod said, by the way, when you activated something on that ship, it actually sent a signal, which meant I could then find you. And he said, Oh, well, I'm just going to now go around the earth a bunch of times previously before I press that button and make sure I don't press it. Yeah. And they could have just from that point on called him backwards, man, rewind, man, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Like, oh no, he's gonna oh, go no. backwards again. But but yeah, exactly. So sort of as a indirect result of the film and storylines that then said that Superman can do anything with these powers, they dialed it back. They dialed it back quite a lot. Um, which was which it was a challenge, but again, it, it made it a little bit easier for writers once they had a a, a character that actually could be hurt in some form or another anyway david i gave the original superman the movie four out of five super s's for all the things that it did do right and for uh you know being there and and getting those things right how about you um yeah if if i were to give it a four that would probably be on the lower end of I, i i know there are a few questions and a few things and i we haven't even got into gene hackman and ned Beatty. And all that, like, there's just so much good in this. I would probably give it four and a half if we're allowed half stars and possibly yep. even a five, possibly, because it's that other than the few, like, you have to accept the fact that something cannot be perfect. Um, but yeah, four and a half or five on that one. It's just, it is the, 
film of all of the Superman movies, I think it is number one. Yeah, I probably could have gone a little bit higher. Like I was actually even thinking like, do I want to do 4.5? I could do that. Or do I want to do 4.25? I could maybe do that. But anyway, as it was, I'm, I'm stuck so far with four to five super asses. Well, we move on to Superman 2 from 1981, and we will be talking here sort of uh, both about Superman 2 and, and what became known as the Donner Cut of Superman 2. Um, the film is credited to director uh, Richard Lester, who also was the director of the Beatles films A Hard Day's Night and Help, so there's your Beatleism for this episode. Uh, the film grossed $190 million. It was the second highest grossing film of 1981, coming in second only to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, the film's producers, the Salkins, had a f- falling out with director Richard Donner as they were completing Superman, the movie. They also refused to pay Marlon Brando for the scenes he had shot for Superman 2. So rather than using that footage, they reshot those scenes between Clark and Jorel using Susanna York as Superman's Kryptonian mother, Lara. It was essential for Richard Lester to shoot a certain amount of footage to receive credit as the film's director. There were some scenes filmed by Lester that when intercut with Donner's footage from two years previous, the contrast was highly noticeable. In particular were the scenes intercutting footage of Margot Kidder, who had been suffering substance abuse problems in the intervening years. There were all kinds of acrimony surrounding the making of Superman 2, and not just between Richard Donner and the Salkinds. The Salkins also threatened lawsuits against Brando as well as Christopher Reeve. While composer John Williams couldn't get along with the new director, Richard Lester, so Williams left. Creative consultant Tom Mankiewicz also left the production out of loyalty to Richard Donner. Director Lester, he was directing the film partly as a settlement in a previous legal action against the Salkins. It's remarkable that Superman 2 ended up being a success at all. Superman 2 is still an entertaining and rewatchable film. Um, some of the things that I really liked about it was, um, well, you and I both talked about Sarah Douglas as Ursa, for one thing, right? Absolutely. Sarah Douglas was excellent. And as you probably say, Terrence Stamp, like just as yeah. a pair of baddies. Yeah. Pretty darn good, eh? Yeah, you were, David, you were in the Phantom Zone, or as Richard Donner calls it, was the Silent Zone. yeah no they they were great like i i found them really compelling from the first time i i'd seen this film uh it felt like um you know here we had some villains that you know were much more of a serious threat than say lex and warren Beatty. absolutely and it's very you know if you can actually have these people that actually do breathe air from Krypton somehow being able to fly through space um, and to be able to talk to people on the moon um, when there's no atmosphere and things like that. And then we'll get later into one of the later movies where they use some device on Superman to actually encompass him in sunning and said, how, how do you think he's going to do without air? Well, he's been traveling in space all this time that, you know, it's, it's a bit odd how they handle that. Cause I don't think that's handled quite right. Um, they are yeah. living beings that actually do need air to be able to breathe <laughs> and to be able to sustain life. And you can't talk on the moon. So other than that, um, anyways, I just had to say that. Yeah, no, we do get some, some issues with our science when, uh, Superman is in space, especially when he later goes into space with, uh, uh, a Hemingway. Um, you know, you get the great Neil before Zod line, which has been reused multiple times in uh, different Superman uh, storytelling. Um, and we get the great Niagara Falls scene. Again, I know that's one of the ones that you and I both really like between uh, Clark and Lois. Absolutely. Uh, yep. Um, and I, I, I always generally like, a second film better than the original film in a series, just because there's less origin, less setup going on. We know who the characters are, are and we're getting on with it. And one of the things that I really liked about this series that uh, later superhero movies, uh, like it became a thing in, I guess, nineties or early aughts 
for superhero films to have not just one villain, but multiple villains. And for me, that just always took up so much storytelling time, like do one story at a time, be true to the character. Um, so I like that in this, even though we get the return of uh, Lex. Um, no, I agree that they, they did yeah. the same thing with Spider-Man. They had yes. this set up for Spider-Man. Then the second one was only Doc Ock. Brilliant. And yeah. it was a second film it was even better than the first. You're right about that setup. The third one, they had Sandman and Venom or whatever it was. And that didn't work for me. It would have been better if it was just Sandman. So you're right. Yeah. It's better to really have just the one, unless you're talking about Batman 66 and you get all of them yeah. in there and camp it up. But right. I think you're right. You need one strong uh, adversary, I think. Yeah, well, the down, the downfall, or the what would have happened if they tried to sort of adapt Batman sixty six into a modern film is we would have got twenty minutes of backstory with every villain as well. You know, um, thank God we didn't get that. It would have been a two and a half hour film of the Adam West uh, Batman. And as much <laughs> as we love our Batman, we don't need that much. Um, I, I wasn't nuts about. Um, Oh yeah, in 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 the released version of Superman Two, Lois discovers that Clark is Superman by him falling into a fireplace. Like, here's a guy who can float in in your universe. Why does he fall into a fireplace and disclose who he is? And why doesn't he go back two minutes in time so that doesn't happen? Anyway, uh, I think he was watching a uh, a rerun of Dick Van Dyke, <laughs> and he was tripping over something, and and I think that was an, an homage, possibly. I can do that. Yeah, he can do that. Um, and also not nuts about the super amnesia kiss at the Daily Planet. Uh, do you have any sort of is, dislikes is you want to touch canon on? canon at all, by the way, Troy? Did you really know you're Superman? That's uh, which, just out of the blue. Like this whole idea that Superman can kiss you to cause amnesia. That's you, just someone pulling that out of their butts, isn't it? Yeah, I think probably the producers maybe. Um because we get that as the series goes on to these powers that Superman doesn't really have, but that he gets attributed to. Like, uh, I believe it's in Superman four where he has this undo vision where he can look at something that's been, been done, like damage to the great wall of China. He can look at it and it gets undone. It gets repaired. That so, was weird. Yeah. Like there's just a number of things like that. Yeah, why don't you just kill generals? Kiss General Zod. <laughs> yeah, let him forget. You know, yeah. like, and that that should be his other thing. He should just be randomly kissing people to make them forget. Like kiss Lex <laughs> Luthor, make him forget his villainous plans, and yeah. uh, and he'd be fine. Uh, yeah, do yeah. we want to touch on the Donner Cut, which you and I uh, checked out a week or so ago? Oh, for sure, absolutely. Go right ahead. Okay. Um, well. There was sort of a, a move, an, an internet uh, movement to have the original version of Superman 2 um, assembled uh, that, Donner, that, that Richard Donner had intended to be released before he was uh, let go from the film. Uh, so Superman 2, the Donner cut version, begins with – I'm just going to let you know some of the, the differences here. The film begins with Lois figuring out Clark is Superman, and um, she attempts to prove it by leaping out of a window at the Daily Planet. Clark rushes down to the ground, uses his super breath to bring her down slowly, opens an awning with his heat vision – which Lois bounces off of and into a fruit stand where she ends up covered in tomatoes. Meanwhile, Clark rushes back to the window from which she jumped and yells, Lois, what have you done? Um, which was a cute scene, I thought. How'd you feel about that one, David? Yeah, I like that one. And there's even this one that I like more, because I'm not sure if that that sort of stepped over the the later scene. I do like the whole thing. There's a scene which I don't think was in the theatrical one where she's drawing glasses oh, on yes. an image of Superman and she's doing this whole this whole, this whole thing in the office that I thought was great. Yeah, it really was. And that's yeah, that's what leads into her uh, leaping out of the window. Um later in Niagara Falls, Lois shoots Clark to prove he's really Superman. Uh cuz she she still has this idea in her head. And this time, she proves it. You are Superman, aren't you? <laughs> Lois, look, we've been through these hallucinations of yours before. 
Can't you see what you almost did? <laughs> Throwing yourself off a building 30 stories high. Can't you see what a tragic mistake you almost made? I made a mistake. I made a mistake because I risked my life instead of yours. Lois, don't, don't be insane. And don't fall down because you're just going to have to get up again. Lois, now don't, don't be crazy now. What? was great because I wouldn't watch it wasn't the theatrical so other than watching this you have no idea that could have been in the actual movie and watching it I was pulled in just as super just as Clark Kent was like I was yeah. pulled I thought that she actually shot him and then when she actually says oh it's a blank but how does he he should realize there's a blank if he's Superman because nothing hit him right but anyways there's a bit of logic there I think that was a bit odd Yep. Now, there were some scenes where Donner was forced to use the actor's test footage because the scenes had never been shot otherwise. And that Lois shooting Clark section is one of those scenes. Donner also restores the Brando footage of Jorel in dialogue with Clark slash Kal-El. And in doing so, Donner restores the father-son dynamic that is really a, a through line between Superman the movie and Superman 2. The Donner Cut of Superman 2 won the Saturn Award for Best DVD Special Edition in 2006. And I'm really glad it exists, and I'm glad that I picked it up because I think it's fairly hard to find now. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of cool to see that one. Yeah, it was um, worth seeing. Plus, um, was it a one of those special things on the DVD that we watched where we had them commenting on what they were doing or was that because I remember um, we were watching something where Donner was talking about all the changes and all of the things that he did with the the thing. I think yeah, that was, that, that. that was part of the commentary. Yeah. 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 Is, yeah when which, you have the commentary on. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah. One of those things that makes the DVD really worth having. Cause you get the entire restored film, you get it with commentary from, uh, Donner and Mankiewicz. And then you get a, I think, 20 minute sort of making of like how the process and, and what it involved to put that thing together. Well, the um, comments I, I really appreciate too, because we did the same thing with the thing where you had the, the the main actor and the director talking about the comments. So I really appreciated Donner talking about how much he liked Christopher Reeve and how great and how wonderful a person he was on set. So I, I, I do appreciate that. Yeah. Now, so with the original released version of Superman 2 and Superman 2, the Donner cut, over the years, I find that's one of those cases where I do conflate everything. Um, I, I did always like the original Superman 2. I think I like Superman 2, the Donner cut, a little bit better. Um, but uh, I'm going to give it sort of a, a, a joint grade. Um, so I went with uh, four out of five Super S's for me. Yeah, I would you? probably give it more like three and a half. Like, I just can't hold it. I, I appreciate the fact that you like the second one better than the first. Um, and I know that there are people who like Aliens more than Alien, even though I'm an Alien fan. Um, but for this, the first one is is so much better for me, at least. But what's nice is that the second one is a standalone movie, and it really does take the character forward. But I just don't think it's as strong a film. So I would probably give it three and a half. Okay. So now we get into the slightly goofier uh, territory for the next two. Superman <laughs> 3 uh, was released in 1983. It was directed by Richard Lester. So this is his first full uh, kick at the can without having to deal with, you know, somebody else's footage. Um the film made $80 million worldwide, less than half of Superman 2, but it still finished in the top five grossing films of the year. The basic plot 
uh, has Richard Pryor's character, Gus Gorman. He becomes a computer hacker and shaves percentage points off of checks and deposits them into his own account. And that was actually reused in the comedy classic Office Space. That virus you're always talking about, right? The one that could uh, rip off the company for a bunch of money. Yeah? What about it? Well, how does it work? It's pretty brilliant. What it does is every time there's a bank transaction where interest is computed, you know, thousands a day, the computer ends up with these fractions of a cent, which it usually rounds off. But what this does is it takes those little remainders and puts it into account. This sounds familiar. Yeah, they did in Superman 3. Right, yeah. Underrated movie, actually. Annette O'Toole as Lana Lang is fantastic. Easily, this is my favorite part of the film, the, the, the stuff that involves Annette O'Toole. I really love the Smallville reunion scenes, and I've got a Beatleism for you there, Dave, where uh, the Beatles version of Roll Over Beethoven plays at the Smallville reunion. Uh, this film is goofy. It's, I'm not going to say goofy. No, it's goofy. Although it's more than a decade after the fact, the feel of these Superman films cannot escape the campiness of Batman 66, which I have touched on. So I won't uh, uh, repeat myself there. Um, one of the things I do love about the film too is we get um we get the evil Superman. There's a split where evil Superman is doing a bunch of bad shit. Uh and he, he fixes the leaning tower of Pisa so it's no longer leaning. And uh the uh tourist uh merchants are all upset about that. We have evil Superman um blowing out the Olympic torch. And uh, we have him causing an oil spill, which is a little bit more serious than those other two things. Um, and we we also get this great uh, fight scene between good and evil Superman. And his portrayal, Christopher Reeve as evil Superman, is for me one of the highlights of the series, even though the film itself is not that strong. Um, but his performance, I thought, was great. And in his evil Superman uniform, he wears the muted colors um, that we end up seeing as part of the palette of the Zack Snyder films, which I thought was interesting, where the red is not Crayola red. It's kind of like a, a darker burgundy um, uh, what do you f- feel about all the goings on of Superman three, David? Well, thank you for lending me the DVDs for three and four. I had avoided watching these films because I had heard that they were so bad. Um, and then that confirmed it upon watching them. <laughs> but, um, I have to say that they do have some highlights. Um, uh, certainly Richard Pryor. You can watch him in anything because he's one of the great comedic geniuses of the past 40, 50 years. He just, he makes the film. And when we eventually get to the fourth one, bringing back Gene Hackman is brilliant too. So we'll get to that in a minute, but there are some um, good aspects for sure in this film. Um, But I think I could have survived without having seen it. Yeah. And one note that I had, which I thought was, was kind of weird was, did you notice this or did you find this that, um, when the villains, it's not Lex, but it's just a sort of an evil, uh, corporate overlord guy. Um, when, when they go to their lair in the Grand Canyon, the computer looks just like the Batcave nuclear reactor in Batman 66. Did you notice that? Like it, it is the same design, but bigger. Yeah. I guess they just took it or, 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 you know, how, how different do these things look anyways? You know, you just, yeah, you got the overlord computer thing with all the buttons that are flashing. Um, but you're right. It has a bit, I mean, they should have had little things that say what the actual instrument does on top yeah. of it. Oh, that would have been that great. Would have added. Yeah. That would have been wonderful. Uh, I think you also have a note about Annette O'Toole, who's actually played different people in the in the movies. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Well, I yeah, I think I I call that the Back to the Future aspect. Um, now, obviously, if I like, I'm 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 seeing this through after years of watching Smallville and seeing uh, Annette O'Toole on it, and so on Smallville, Annette O'Toole plays Martha Kent, Clark Kent's mom. And so for me, it had this really weird back to the future feel of 
he goes back to the, to the reunion in Superman three and, you know, he, he's kind of hitting on Annette O'Toole who's playing Lana Lang and she's sweet on him. And so it has this like, you know, holy incest vibe of Marty McFly that, uh, that I always feel about back to the future. I always have a hard time with back to the future because of the goings on between him and his mom. Um, but yeah, so that's probably just me. Yeah. You, you gave it a rating, right? Uh, three. Oh yeah. Eight. Sorry. I gave it a 2.5 out of five. And that's, um, pr- I'm like, you know, it certainly doesn't live up to the first two. Like clearly I would never want to mislead anybody. It's not very good, but it's, it's watchable. If it's on TV, you might want to watch it. Um, you know, and you do get these great scenes with the netto tool. You do get to see, um, Richard Pryor. Um, and you know, generally you can't lose, uh, Oh, actually I guess Lois is in this very little because of the whole setup with, uh, with Lana, like she goes on Hawaii uh, on a vacation to Hawaii or something, and returns. Right, and Robert Vaughn, yeah, Robert Vaughn is yeah. the uh, the villain, uh, right? The, yeah, the villain. So that's pretty good too. I would give it a two myself. Yeah, um, but you're right. It's it certainly has some because uh, I love Richard Pryor, love Robert Vaughn, uh, Christopher Reeve, and so on, and and Annette O'Toole. So yeah, it's got some good actors in it. It just didn't quite have the story. No, uh, and it felt like the budget was like severely cut too. Um, so I can't wait to hear your, um, your number of super S's for, uh, for, for number four. The greatest hope against the threat of nuclear war is Superman. I'm going to do what our governments have been unwilling or unable to do. Effective immediately, I'm going to rid our planet of all nuclear weapons. greatest threat to Superman is Lex Luthor. Smarter than I thought. We can make the world safe for war profits. He's created the ultimate weapon to annihilate the Man of Steel. You risk worldwide nuclear war for your own personal financial gain. Nobody wants war. I just want to keep the threat alive. Dude of Steel. (laughs) Where are you going to get it? You're a workaholic. Why don't you stop and smell the roses, huh? Superman 4. Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, Jackie Cooper, John Cryer, with Mariel Hemingway and Margot Kidder as Lois Lane. Superman 4. His most important adventure. The quest for peace. Yeah. Well, Superman four, the quest for peace uh, was released in 1987. It was directed by Sidney Fury. Uh, it only made 36 million, less than half of Superman three. The final cut ran at only 90 minutes after a test screening saw the need to remove about an hour from its running time. And David, <laughs> I have a very perverse desire to see the uncut uh, version of this film. And uh, it, might, it might save it. It might actually say this is a stunt, you know, sort of like with all the cutting they did to Star Trek, the motion sickness when they brought <laughs> back the restored one made a lot more sense. Yeah. Same thing with the Snyder cut and all this kind of thing. Sometimes when they've cut a film, they've actually cut the core of it. I have a feeling this may yeah. not be the case here. Yeah, no, <laughs> but, but I am curious to find out. So we need mm-hmm. to get an internet uh, petition going to have the restored version of Superman four. Um, Christopher Reeve, who obviously was Superman, um, and he conceived of the dis- disarmament storyline. He called Superman four quote, a catastrophe from start to finish. End of quote. At the behest of a young boy, Superman decides to rid the world of nuclear weapons by flying them into outer space. He should have just flown backwards until Oppenheimer was about to be born and then stopped there. That's Good idea. That's a story. Yeah. Anyway, um, also in the story, we have Mariel Hemingway falling in love with Clark. Not Superman, which was interesting. She falls in love with Clark, not Superman. And Lex is back. And this time he plans on destroying Superman by creating Nuclear Man, a being as strong as Superman. Um, 
And that plot point does foreshadow Doomsday, interestingly enough, in the comics 13 years later. Gene Hackman, yeah, he's back as Lex. Um, and along with him, instead of um, uh, Warren Beatty, we have, hold on, not Warren Beatty, Ned Beatty. Warren yeah, Beatty, that would have been That would have been, awesome. been different. Yeah, that would have been different. <laughs> <laughs> Let's recast that. That's what I should have done for my my later casting. Anyway, um, yeah, this time it's Lenny Luther played by John Cryer. Uh, and Cryer would actually... Um, play Lex Luthor in the TV series Supergirl. Okay, let's unpack this a little bit more. Uh, This one gets really lame once Nuclear Man arrives midway through the film. At one point, Nuclear Man destroys a section of the Great Wall of China, as we've talked about, and then uh, Superman has a new power, Restorovision, where he's able to look at something that has been destroyed and simply restore it with his eyeballs. Um, later nuclear man flies over Manhattan holding the statue of Liberty in a way that defies even the simplest viewers notion of how the laws of gravity and physics actually work in your face, science teachers. Um, and while we're talking science, Superman somehow has the ability to fly Mariel Hemingway into outer space without the aid of oxygen or a space suit. Hmm. I pondered. Wow. Hmm. I, I want Neil deGrasse Tyson to watch this film and comment on it because I think he made some things about, and, and fair enough with, with things like gravity and some other films. And he does, and he's fair about it. I don't think he does this to really destroy things and he gives credit where credit is due. So I appreciate what he does. But if he were to watch this film, I think he might throw up in his mouth and swallow because it <laughs> is awful. Yep. It is, I know, and I. It even bothered me that I, I think they have. Um, they're still using some of the John Williams music, even though Giorgio Remote. What's his name? Giorgio Marauder. 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 No, you know who I mean. <laughs> yes. um, he is the uh, the one credited with the score, but they do recycle some of the John Williams music. I don't think we should talk about this much longer. Other than say they recycle certain things like there's another Lois and Superman flying scene. Uh, and there's also the magical amnesia kiss. Um, so yeah, but the idea of trying to save the, like, like do this kind of thing, which you try to do right. Like Star Trek four, save the whales, a voyage home. Brilliant. And it had that message. Sometimes you can actually do that and do it right. But then there was this, um, then there was Superman quest, you know, the quest where he wants to get rid of nuclear armament. And that's something I'm very much for. Like if we just get rid of all nuclear weapons everywhere, I would be a very happy camper. I'm not sure why we haven't. You hippie? Film, yeah. <laughs> Peace out. I'm with but, you. But um, yeah, this was not. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how based on a script or anything, how anyone green lights this based on what was there. Um, there was this, um, Steven Seagal, it's not science fiction, of course, but it was Steven Seagal one that even had Michael Caine. I guess maybe that was the only role that Michael Caine was in that I would question because he's such a great actor, but there was, um, on deadly ground or something where it was again, another one of these high handed save the planet kind of fiascos. That's just horrific. So this was, I mean, if if this is a horror movie, like let's consider this as a horror film, I would give it like four (laughs) out of five or five out of five. But I don't think that's what the intention was. Um, Well, I will say this, David, that um, I've noticed having, I know I lived through the eighties and we saw a lot of uh, egregious miscalls, especially in cinema uh, through the 1980s. And a lot of those egregious miscalls were attributable to cocaine to nose candy. And so I don't know if this is one of those, but I would not be surprised because I yeah. don't know how it gets <laughs> green lit either. Other than people being as high as fuck and, and not knowing any better. Yeah. And nuclear man is one of the most horrific things you can imagine. Like it reminds me of earth final conflict, the Gene Roddenberry's earth final conflict later seasons where they brought in this character called Howland. Yeah. And it was just, even though that was much better and the, and and what they did for, with that character and the effects and everything else was so much better than this but this one was so bad and gene hackman keeps saying nuclear man 
which I don't get because, I mean, I don't think it was a decision, like a character decision. I thought, you know, well, Lex is supposed to be an evil genius. He would know how to pronounce nuclear. Um, but um, for whatever reason, Hackman keeps saying nuclear. Unless uh, he's like George Bush, like one of the, I think it might've been the younger Bush. I always kept yeah. saying nuclear instead of nuclear. And maybe it is a certain say, way of saying it from maybe a certain area that you, they tend to like foyer versus foyer. Yeah. That kind of thing. Right. Maybe some but or that's, film versus film. Yeah. 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 I, you've got me, you got me on that one. Okay, uh, so but, but that's one good thing, by the way. Gene Hackman is is makes this a one instead of a zero or half because Gene Hackman's great, and even like the scenes with him and John Cryer, uh, yep. you know, they're they're watchable. Like they're, they're they're you know they're not well written, they're not well shot, but um, they're watchable. That's about all I will say. Oh yeah. Uh, any, anyway, so this is my lowest rated Superman film of them all. I gave it one. Super S out of five. And I'll give it half a, I won't give it zero. I'll give it half because of Gene. Yeah. Yeah, And of course, Christopher Reeve, of course. Yeah. I like your objectivity. I probably should have done that too. Whoa, 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 Dave, Dave, do you see what we just did? I can't believe we did this. What we went long again? We went we went super long. We went super long. We we might have to like go back in time. Well, actually, we can't. If su- we were super, we could go back in time and uh, and fix it. But it looks like we are going to have to take a break and carry on to an, another episode of Superman at the movies. So, um, yeah. Well, this this episode ends at ick. It's super califragilistic, and then the second part will be expialidocious. So that's how we will break it. This maybe. is just well, like a. Not. This is just like the old uh, cliffhanger serials. You know, you're gonna have to come back and see Carols how of Pauline. Yeah, see how our Superman uh, at the movies goes, right? Because that's it, it for did, now. Right? <laughs> did David and Troy jump out of that carriage before it ended up over into that? abyss or that ravine and, or whatever I, it was. and I don't know David I can't tell you why you know why because Superman came and he kissed me on the lips and I can't remember well can we remember how we actually end the episode and maybe we'll do that no, I don't think we can but yeah let's see we, we say something like uh, remember to catch us on your favorite podcast provider be that Spotify or podcast addict or what have you please check us out uh, on our website if you like that's 2of.ca numeric two um and of course facebook we're all over facebook you like you you know so much facebook and um yeah just your favorite podcast provider really tell a friend like and subscribe um and uh yeah that's it yep and i'm david clank and i'm troy harkin and see you all for part two of our movie look at superman on two old farts talk (laughs) sci-fi 